be reading from verse 1, sorry. (laughs) The passage will be from verse 12. There we go. (laughs) Cool. Right, so Acts chapter 1, starting reading at verse 12. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) sorry, that's my fault. I'm confusing things backs and forwards. There we go. Start reading from verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, were with, one, with, one, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture, had, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, a Kaldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and the, apostle, and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch Reformed theologian, famously once said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine. In other words, Jesus is Lord over everything. Jesus is Lord over space and time. Jesus is Lord over the galaxies that are known to us and over the galaxies that are unknown to us. Jesus is Lord over the nations and over the peoples of the world. He's Lord over governments and over royal families. He's Lord over every culture and over every language and over every ethnicity. He's Lord over every business, whether just or unjust, over every home and over every family, 
over every hair, on every head. Jesus is Lord over the air that we breathe. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord of all, does not exclaim, Mine. And he's Lord even over the no man's land in which our passage today takes place. In the first of the Chronicles of Narnia, which are apparently getting a lot of airtime today, uh, Polly and Diggory, the two main characters, find themselves in a place called the Wood Between the Worlds. Uh, They'd gotten there because they tried on these forbidden rings that they found in Uncle Andrew's study. And the result was them disappearing from our world and being transported into the place that exists between all worlds. Then Diggory's head, Lewis writes, suddenly came out into the air and he found himself scrambling ashore out onto smooth grassy ground at the edge of the pool. As he rose to his feet, he noticed that he was neither dripping nor panting for breath as anyone would expect after being underwater. His clothes were perfectly dry. He was standing by the edge of a small pool, not more than 10 feet from side to side in a wood. The trees grew close together and were so leafy that he could get no glimpse of the sky. All the light was green light that came through the leaves, but there must have been a very strong sun overhead, for this green daylight was bright and warm. It was the quietest wood you could possibly imagine. There were no birds, no insects, no animals, and no wind. You could almost feel the trees growing. The pool he had just got out of was not the only pool. There were dozens of others, a pool every few yards as far as his eyes could reach. And as you've guessed, every pool was a portal into another world. And there's a sense in which our passage today takes place in the wood between the worlds. In last week's passage, Jesus had ascended into heaven You remember a cloud had taken Jesus out of the apostles' sight, and that was it. It was over. The world of being in Jesus' physical presence was now over for the apostles. They would hear no more of his sermons delivered in that northern Galilean accent. They would see no more of his brow squeeze with sympathy as the sick approached him or as the near to dead were carried to him for life. They would witness no further miracles performed by his hands or spoken into existence out of his mouth. That world was gone. And the world that they were about to step into hadn't yet arrived. You remember in last week's passage, Jesus had promised the apostles that they would be clothed with power from on high, that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and that through the Holy Spirit's power, there would be a power, power, wonder-working power making its way out of them as they continued the ministry of Jesus Christ. They would preach as he preached. They would care as he cared. 
And they would perform signs and wonders and miracles just as Jesus had done. It would be the new world that would turn their world upside down. But that world hadn't arrived yet. And yet the point of our verses today is this. God is sovereign over his kingdom. Even in no man's land. Even in the wood between the worlds, God was still ruling and reigning the kingdom of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which God does not reign as a sovereign king. Maybe you're hearing this this morning and you feel like really your whole life is a no man's land. Like you sort of live in the woods between the worlds. You are converted. You are looking forward to heaven. But you feel like there's not a lot going on in between. I made the point last week that the book of Acts shows us glimpses of Jesus' power being worked out through the acts of the apostles. And I asked us the question, is Jesus revealing his power through us? And you might have been sat there thinking to yourself, well, no, not really, Hugh, not at all. I get up and go to work. I come home and have dinner. I go to bed. I got like four likes on Instagram this past week. But even in our ordinary lives, when we feel like We live in the in-between. God is still sovereign. God is still working his kingdom purposes out in and through us. And that's what we're going to see in Acts 1, 12 to 26. Now verses 12 to 14, they set the scene for us. Let's look back there. Luke writes, Then they, the apostles, returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day's journey away. And that's, by the way, about half a mile because you remember the Jews didn't travel very much on Saturday. Verse 13. And when they had entered, that is Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus had promised to them, and they were devoting themselves to prayer, which we'll come back to later on in this Message, But as we think about the fact that God is sovereign over his kingdom, we're going to see, number one, sovereign over kingdom traitors, and number two, sovereign over kingdom ministers. Number one, sovereign over kingdom traitors. Look at verse 15 of Acts chapter 1 again. Luke writes, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field 
with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Now, in view of the last 40 days that the disciples had spent with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, and in view of the power that Jesus had promised to the disciples, to the apostles, and in view of the mission that Jesus had described for the apostles, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, we might wonder why the first words out of Peter's mouth in the book of Acts had to do with the treachery of Judas. Like, Peter, way to ruin the mood. But Peter understood that they weren't yet ready to be baptized with the Holy Spirit because Jesus had chosen 12 apostles to be his fishers of men and for the kingdom, not 11. The stage wasn't yet set. The number 12 mattered probably because it was designed to parallel the 12 tribes of Israel. And when Jesus had spoken of the renewal of all things in Matthew 19, he promised that the 12 apostles would sit on 12 thrones and would judge the 12 tribes of Israel. But before Peter spoke of picking a replacement, Peter wanted to take a moment to help the 120 understand that what had happened to Judas was not a failure of God's plan, but was instead God's plan. It was God's plan. Jesus had chosen the 12, including Judas, but Jesus had chosen Judas for the purpose of his betrayal in order for the crucifixion to take place that would make salvation available for the world and effective for the elect. The loss of Judas was no deviation from God's sovereign plan. It was God's sovereign plan. So says Psalm 69, and so says Psalm 109. Even this dire situation, Peter says, all has happened according to God's sovereign plan. God is sovereign over his kingdom, even over kingdom traitors. Friends, Since God is not shaken by apostasy, neither should we be. As outrageous as Judas' betrayal was, and as bloody and as tragic as his death by suicide was, it was prophesied a thousand years before it took place. Apostasy uh, apostasy should surprise us. Apostasy should grieve us. But apostasy should not shake us. Because apostasy does not shake God. 
Friends, to be honest with you all, I know what it feels like to be shaken by apostasy. A few years ago now, I was sitting where you are sitting, not in this building, but sat listening to a sermon in church and was listening to a preacher preach on these verses. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. And during the sermon, the thought flashed through my mind, I bet, and I thought of the name of one very high profile pastor, I bet he would handle those verses so well. The service concluded And the first time I picked up my phone, there was a message from a family member that said, have you heard about, and she named the exact preacher I had just thought about moments before who had done exactly what the author to the Hebrews described there. He'd announced to the world that he had deconstructed his faith, that he was no longer a Christian, and it shook me to my core. I would catch myself asking questions like, Is this even real? Are we just playing a religious game here? How could he preach with so much spiritual power? Was he ever even a Christian? And if he wasn't a Christian, what makes me think I'm a Christian? How long is it going to be until I, quote unquote, deconstruct my faith and walk away from Jesus. It overwhelmed me. But friends, if the apostasy of Judas Iscariot, who had walked with Jesus, and who had talked with Jesus, and who had eaten with Jesus, and who had ministered with Jesus, was under the sovereign plan of God, we need not be shaken by apostasy. We can be surprised Judas, we're told, had performed miracles. And think about this, when Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, one of you will betray me, the disciples didn't look to one another and say, oh, well, it's obviously Judas then. No, they all said, is it I, Lord? Nobody suspected him. But God knew it all. He'd ordained it before the foundation of the world and had even inspired a prophecy about it a thousand years before it took place. If you're here today and you're thinking about walking away from Jesus, do let me say this from Judas' example. Apostasy never ends well. You might be the last person in this church downstairs, upstairs, watching from home, who anyone would think would turn their back on Jesus Christ. But you know that you are getting closer and closer by the day. 
And, and you might be telling yourself that that's because you're no longer sure that Christianity is true. But the reality is it's because you're treasuring something, valuing something, savoring something more than Jesus Christ. Friends, Judas got that thing. Judas got his hands on the very thing he loved more than Jesus. For him it was money. And throughout the ministry of Christ, he would plunge his hands into the treasury bag and he would place the money inside of his pockets. He got the 30 pieces of silver. It was in his possession. And how did his love affair with money end? With a noose around his neck. Do not buy what your doubts are selling. Can I say that again? Do not buy what your doubts are selling. One commentator said, every time we reach for something beyond or besides Jesus in order to satisfy a longing and desire, which he writes, always means reaching for something far less than Jesus. We are asking for our own version of 30 pieces of silver. Judas is an example of trying to gain the world at the expense of one's soul. And, late, and then later he wrote this, he gave up everything for a few pieces of silver and yet he lost the money, the field, and ultimately his life. And we might add his eternity. And from what you also need to know if you're being tempted to walk away from Jesus is this, apostates are responsible even though God is sovereign over apostasy. While speaking of Judas' betrayal, Jesus said this, the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he has been betrayed. Jesus doesn't say the son of man who has gone as has been determined, so apostates are in the clear. No, 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 Jesus said, The two things can be held together. The son of man goes as it has been determined. Woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And the objection, my betrayal was predestined, so who can resist God's will? I'm in the clear. That will work in a philosophy classroom. It will not work in the throne room of God. But friends, here's what I want us to see as well, God forgives apostates. God forgives repentant apostates. I've told you before, and I do have his permission, about a very close friend of mine who turned his back on Jesus, turned his back on the church, turned his back on his own family, and eventually, years and years later, he turned back to Jesus. And Jesus Christ forgave him. And Jesus Christ washed him and sanctified him. And if you know now that you are in the enemy's territory because you are in the process of or you already have turned your back on Jesus Christ, go to Jesus Christ. See, Judas changed his mind after Jesus had been arrested, but he went back to the chief priests. He did not go back to Jesus. And that is the difference between repentance 
and worldly sorrow. The difference between a godly grief and a worldly sorrow. One ends in death, the other ends in life. Go to Jesus and he will forgive you. And he will renew his fellowship with you. And he will cause his face to shine upon you. Because when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. Second, sovereign over kingdom ministers. Go back to verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph called Bessabbos, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So, not only was God sovereign over the fall of Judas, but God was also sovereign over the rise of Matthias into the number of the 11 apostles. Now, as we work our way through the book of Acts, we are going to encounter time and time again questions over what is Luke simply describing and what is Luke actually prescribing for the church in all times and in all places like should we in our members meeting be throwing dice to to make decisions well I believe this practice was as unique to this time as the apostles themselves were unique to this time Uh, we don't have apostles today one of the prerequisites to being an apostle was that you had seen Jesus Christ with your own eyes We haven't, nobody in this world has, and not only that, but nowhere in the New Testament do we read any instructions where the apostles encourage churches to throw dice or cast lots to make decisions in local churches. So what is it that we're supposed to do with these verses about the choosing of Matthias? Well, I have three takeaway messages for us. The first is this. The forward progress of God's kingdom is up to God. It is not down to us. The forward progress of God's kingdom is up to God. It is not down to us. God was the one who ensured that Matthias was born at the time that he was born, in the place in which he was born, to the parents to whom he was born, in order for him to be an eyewitness of the ministry of Christ from the baptism of John All the way to his resurrection, God was the one who knew Matthias' heart. God God ensured that the rolling of the dice had landed to 
and, and it fell to Matthias. God was the one who heard the prayers of the apostles. The forward progress of God's kingdom is ultimately up to God. It is not down to us. God is sovereign over kingdom ministers. Now, if I were Dennis Kuzmenko right now, and I have been ministering and laboring for the sake of the gospel in Ukraine for years and years, not only would there be a war all around me, but there would also be a war inside of me. Because I would be asking questions like, how is it that I have been spending and being spent here? I have been sowing here over the years. I have been praying here over all these people. And now I have to uproot my family and drive 10 and a half hours away from all of the kingdom growth that I've been praying over for so long. The forward progress of God's kingdom is up to God. It is not down to us. And if you're visiting with us today, and you're asking, does Hugh have a, a grand master plan for this church? What's Hugh's vision? Well, Hugh does have a vision that he prays over every day. But I also know this, Psalm 16:9, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. But also, the forward progress of God's kingdom is fueled by expectant prayer. The passage began with the 120 devoting themselves to prayer. And the passage ends with the apostles praying. And that is not just a description, that is a prescription for all churches, in all places, and in all times. How do I know? Because the call to devout prayer is all over the place in the New Testament. Pray always, pray at all times. Pray in the Holy Spirit. On and on it goes. How did the original 12 come to be in the first place? On the back of an entire night of prayer. And how was Matthias? How was Judas replaced by Matthias? By prayer. Friends, this is why the Tuesday night prayer meeting exists. This is why the Friday morning prayer meeting exists. For us to be a fellowship devoting ourselves to prayer. Why? Because the forward progress of God's kingdom is fueled by expectant prayer. And lastly, the forward progress of God's kingdom is realized through ordinary people. It's fascinating, isn't it, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't tell us anything about Matthias. He just sort of appears in Acts chapter 1, sort of like Melchizedek just appears. And yet, and not only that, but in the book of Acts, we don't read of anything else happening via Matthias. But God knew Matthias' heart, and God ensured that the lot would fall to him. And God made sure that he was included among the number of men who would turn the world upside down through their faithful preaching of the gospel. Was it because they were special? No. It was because they had been with Jesus. It was because they were filled 
with the Holy Spirit. And I hate to break this all to us today. We too are ordinary. Which means we need to be with Jesus. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I read just this past week that the renowned preacher William R. Newell was speaking in China for China Inland Mission, now called OMF. And as he was leaving, he said to one of the staff, pray for me that I shall be nothing. And the staff member directed, uh, responded with a little twinkle in his eye. And he said, Newell, you are nothing. Take it by faith. <laughs> Don't worry about being extraordinary. Don't worry about being a somebody. Worry about having a heart that God sees and that God is pleased with. And let him use you as he determines whether you get a mention or not. God is sovereign over his kingdom. He's sovereign in the wood between the worlds of his kingdom. He's sovereign over kingdom traitors. And he is sovereign over kingdom ministers. Let us trust him for the future of his kingdom here among us. Amen. Amen.